When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Thursday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler, and this is, even though I'm on it, this is still a lower lead show this Thursday, because we still have Craig Telfer. Hello. Hello, Craig. We don't have Sean McGuigan. Uh, Sean was busy uh, doing whatever. So instead... Of bro- That's what Sean was doing, he was fucking. <laughs> <laughs> so we've brought in a... We brought in, uh, well, I've, I've got an actor as one half of this this regular duo, and uh, the other half is Mr. Andy Harrow. Hello, Andy. How's it going? The budget version of Sean McGuigan checking in for the evening? <laughs> yes, usually when uh, Craig and Sean do this, they can they can go on for, for hours, and they, there is no qualms about them having to fit in 45 minutes worth of content, <laughs> which is the prerequisite for the show. Let's see if myself and Andy can bind. <laughs> Could help make up for the shortfall of Sean not being here, and uh, we could reach that forty-five minutes while talking about three lower league games. I, I, I don't want to make Andy Harrow feel bad, but I remember it used to be really good fun when when myself, Craig, and Sean would do the podcast. We'd go round to your house, Craig. Of course, you don't live there anymore. Um, well, that's relevant to anything. I don't know. It's <laughs> not like I'm homeless. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> you've moved out. You've you've moved on with your life. But I remember we'd go round there. You'd have two bottles of lager, and by the time that second lager kicked in, that's when you start. You want to slag off Scott Zine. We're beyond that now, you know. We're beyond that. We've grown up, and, and as like we say, Sean's um, Sean's got his hand full at the moment, in one way or another. So if you can't have the the best, why not have the the rest? And that sounds like I'm doing you a disservice, Andy. I don't mean to do that, <laughs> but I do remember what I will say though. I do remember doing a podcast. It was like a countdown list with yes. with you. It was like it was like equivalent of um, 
it was it was like Uncut Gems, but the audio version of Uncut Gems it was just unbelievably stressful. I can't remember why. I can't remember. It was like the intro. It was like two minutes of just you know that scene in Uncut Gems when they're stuck in the the security door and they have to get a file like a chisel to try and uh, knock open. That's what that the first two minutes of that podcast were like, Andy. Hmm. And, and, and it only went downhill from there. That was a good bit. Yes, I. Then after that, it was just I. It was an absolute shambles. So we 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 just, got, we just covered heart. We just covered Hearts and Morton uh, moments for <laughs> two and a half hours. Right, listen, well, we've got our baseline. So as long as we can uh, rise above that, then I think this this podcast will be at the very least three out of ten. Yes, let's hope we can do that. So three games to talk about, one from each of the lower league divisions, and we'll get to that after this. The return of football is always worth celebrating, and Beer Fifty Two are generously offering free beer. While you watch your team from the comfort of your own home. Or if you just want a few to get you in the mood before you head down to the local ground as we're now allowed back at the stadiums again. Yes. They're offering eight craft beers sourced and created from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash terrace and just cover the $5.95 for postage. Beer 52 is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club with over 150,000 members that they send a brand new case to each and every month. Every month's case has a different theme. Past themes have included beer from New Zealand, South Africa, Korea, all over the US and Europe. If dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose the light option and your case will come with an award-winning beer magazine ferment and a tasty snack. Don't worry though, if you change your mind, you can pause or cancel your account at any time. Just go to beer52.com forward slash terrace to get your first case of eight beers for $5.95. That's beer52.com forward slash terrace. Right, first up, championship. We've got Dunfermline and Partick Thistle. Quite a stunning result from this last weekend. Thistle going to East End Park and winning 3-0. Dunfermline, not, Dunfermline fans not happy with their team start to the season, they were bigged up as potential promotion contenders, especially some of the some of the kind of talents they brought in towards uh, after the Premier Sports Cup had already been started. And Kelly fans, I remember Sean was saying that he, he did wonder whether Dunfermline were going to have the necessary strength to challenge Kelly. Certainly not looked that way so far. Andy, you're also a Wraith Rovers fan. How are you feeling about yeah. Dunfermline at the moment? Better than I did uh, a couple of weeks ago. I, I was in the boat that I thought that although Kelly would probably win the league, that I thought uh, Dunfermline would probably finish second, and I thought that they might they might push uh, Kelly. Thought some of the signings they made, and obviously they, they were okay last year. Um, fairly a fairly decent season, uh, all told. Although obviously a, a, a really bad defeat for them in the, the playoffs to to the Rovers. But yeah, they. they Look incredibly. It's kind of hard to imagine at the moment, or hard to see them as uh, challenging. I know we're only two games in, but it, it is a bit surprising. I mean, they, they drew two-two with Morton in that first game away from home, and I think Morton's a bit of a bogey team at Capital, so you know that that's one thing. But to to go down and so so meekly to Thistle as well at the weekend is uh, would be a bit more of a worry, I would say. Um, and I, and I think the. It's not a freak result either. I think there's a number of weaknesses about Dunfermline at the moment, um, and and we'll probably go into some of them. But yeah, I, I thought they were really poor, and I'd be, I'd be a wee bit worried about them going forward if it wasn't for the fact I was a Rovers fan and 
I'm quite glad they're doing poorly. <laughs> yeah, worried you are not. Yeah, the the yeah talking about surrender so meekly. I think uh, you just have to look at the three goals they conceded. Mm-hmm. You're you're going to be hard pressed to find three worse goals uh, to, to give away in any form of, of Scottish football this season. The first one, Ross Doherty. Uh, sorry, is it? Uh, sorry, have I got the yeah? Yeah, Ross Doherty. Completely unmarked uh, uh, at the corner. Uh, just you just seem to be standing. It, I was looking at it back. It's hard to tell because the only kid had one camera angle, so you can see it shift, uh, and you can just see kind of him standing there. So you wonder whether he's gotten to that position by, I don't know, doing a kind of curled run around the back of the kind of bunch of players or something, or something along those lines. But it, it just looked to me like he was just standing there, and nobody bothered to mark him. I think I I'd agree with Fowler. I mean, first of all, I want to say I think that that Beer Fifty Two really is a sort of the Britannia Music Club for 2021 uh, but secondly I, I, I sort of back up your point there I think that I mean Ross Docherty is a fairly diminutive uh, like holding midfielder I think when it comes to set pieces you're not really going to find him in amongst it I think he was just there to make up the numbers you know perhaps give some of the more uh, the, the, the more uh, shorter than Fermlin players defending that set piece something to think about and I just think he's he just finds himself there he just seems to take a couple of steps and inexplicably, he's just in a position where he can he can score a goal. I I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to know. I mean, I know Ross Docherty is not exactly famed for his goal scoring. I can't imagine he's got like many goals from his head throughout his career. But certainly, that will be one of the most straightforward goals he's got to score. But I seemed to be a, a running theme over the course of the the match, particularly in the first half, was that Dennis Mehmet did not look comfortable at all when balls were put on top of him at all. Yeah, you can see that was the the tactic from Thistle as well because they packed a lot of players into the six-yard box to, to try and make it as uncomfortable for Mehmet as possible and to to stop him from, from coming and, and getting a kind of clear charge to the ball, which also played a part in the second goal as well, which was really bad as well. Maybe bad in kind of slightly different ways, but still really rotten. So you had, you had Mehmet who who came, got nothing. That was a, that was a big part of it. Had he stayed on his line then? Kevin Holt's got to do a bit more rather than just mainly get his shot and uh, his header on target and it's a goal. But in, in fairness to this one, this at least did something to, to, to get Kevin Holt so free at the back post. They kind of they worked it so that Brian Graham helped pin Paul Watson, uh, who was meant to be marking Holt, and Holt could have done that looping run round the back of the, the kind of four of them that were that were um, all kind of stationed together. But yeah, Mehmet was Mehmet was just terrible, and it was just like it's one of those ones you can just imagine. Like you could hear the booing afterwards, and it just must have been so frustrating to watch as a Dunfermline fan to see your team concede such an easy goal from a set piece, and then just to do it again, not even that long later. Mm-hmm. One, one, of, one of the big problems the Dunfermline have had over those two weeks is that they've potentially got the worst goalkeeper and the worst centre half in the division as it stands. Uh, so Mehmet was like you said for for both of those wins. At fault, especially for the, the first one, he was at fault for the one of the goals against Morton last week as well. Where him, in fact, the, the two people I'm going to talk about, Mehmet and Ross Graham, were uh, had, a, had a horror show with that first goal uh, last week. Where I think Graham was short with that. He, he should have cleared it, and he didn't, and he let it run through to Mehmet. And then Mehmet clattered the Morton striker and, and gave away a penalty. And this time round, it was I think it was Todorov for the first goal. Uh, that lost Doherty but for the second one uh, I'm pretty sure it was Graham who was supposed to be marking Holt uh, and along with I mean Mehmet's obviously flapped at it and, and gone nowhere near it uh, but 
Graham's also uh, lost his man as well, and I think he. So he's he's come in alone. He was at Cove last season, uh, and he's come in alone from Dundee United, and he does not look very impressive uh, so far. And I, I think maybe you're, you're maybe only looking at Paul Watson as a kind of competent defender. Cockcomb is obviously decent. Whether he's, I don't know whether a kind of back three seems to be playing the, the the best position for him, but. Certainly, Ross Graham's had a bit of a, a tough start to the championship, uh, and he he looks like a weak link. And I think when you've also got a, a keeper who's flapping at things and, and making mistakes, it doesn't it doesn't set you up very well for uh, going forward. So I don't I don't know I don't know what they do about that uh, going forward. Whether they they can drop either of them. Uh, obviously, Thistle swapped goalkeepers around uh, prior to this game, but yeah, they were both they were both at fault for for goals again this week. I think that's quite an interesting point you say about the back three because I think that's something that Peter Grant's tried to do since he's come into the club. Of course, bear, bear in mind, Peter Grant didn't even need to hand... I thought they say he didn't need to hand in a CV or that his CV speaks for itself even though he didn't hand it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his CV is too strong and so there's really no point in... His CV speaks for itself even though he doesn't need to hand it in. So we're basically saying that the CV <laughs> phoned up Dunfermline by itself. <laughs> I think that the back three the back three doesn't really seem to suit them. But Dunfermline were at their best, particularly at the start of last year. I know the personnel's changed, of course, but just as a sort of like orthodox back four, two solid uh, centre backs in Ewan Murray and Paul Watson and uh, Comrie, and I think it was um, Josh Edwards played played the other fullback position. Forgive me if I got that one wrong, uh, but they were they, they were decent. You know, they were they were competent, particularly in the first half of the season. They looked good going forward. And, and as you say, Andy, it's just you're kind of going in from a position where you think that's a pretty good uh, base to build your squad on. To so your first team on to, to thinking that that geez, oh, we, we can't trust our goalkeeper. We we and we've only really got one decent centre back out of the lot. I mean, and, and the players like Comrie, Comrie's a, a pretty handy uh, fullback, but I think he's struggling as sort of plays like a right sided uh, centre back. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, Kyle, yeah. I know Kyle Walker can do it. But I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what I thought of Comrie. Like, I don't know a lot about, well, I don't know a lot about a lot of these players, but from what I've seen of Comrie, he seems like an energetic kind of fullback, like getting up and down. Aye. That's that's almost like kind of what Peter Grant's trying to use him as, like the the right sided Kieran Tierney. What I found quite interesting about this as well, I mean, I, I think this is something we spoke just before we started recording. Having read a lot of the stuff going into this game, I think it was Alan Temple who I, I got to praise Alan Temple's work with the Courier because it's, it's absolutely first class. But he was was live tweeting from the game, and I think it was about twenty two minutes in. He was saying like how bad Dunfermline were playing, and how Thistle were just as we spoke about just exploiting them, cross balls, putting putting pressure on top of Meme, and and obviously taking full advantage of it. But uh, I was expect, and then having read the comments from Pine Bolver, I was expecting the highlights to be an absolute one, a horror show or a comedic masterpiece. And they weren't really either. And I don't know if they were edited in a certain way that, that made uh, Dunfermline reflected favourably on Dunfermline or if they weren't, they weren't that bad or the highlights just don't tell the full story. But certainly judging from fans' reactions, that was a very alarming performance at this stage of the season for a side who, as we mentioned earlier, were expected to challenge for the top four, if not the title. I think, I think that was some, some pro... Uh, some uh, black and white tinted specs editing going on there uh, with, the, with the highlights because yeah I was the same as you for what I heard Thistle were, were well worth the win and the highlights kind of made it seem like it was an even game other than some calamitous defending from the film because we haven't even talked about the third goals yes third goals are first as well 
tremendous, tremendous entertainment. Uh, Kyle McDonald gives the ball away too easily. Well, he gets caught in position in the right back area. Uh, Reese Cole is in beaten far too easily by Cammy Smith, and then Ross Graham, uh, a, a comical uh, attempt at a clearance, just shanks it right into the back of his own net. And it was just, it didn't even seem to be, the only disappointment with that one is it didn't seem to be that much booing after that one. I don't know if they were just, the fans were just done by that point. It's like, we've got that left. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, the, um, I, I, I think what, what the Fairman fans were, were saying after the game is just how unbalanced their, their team looks and especially in the middle as well. So, we talked there about the, the fact that they're trying to play with a back three. They seem to be trying to play in midfield without any holding midfielder either. So you would imagine when you've got a back three that you've got somebody there who's a very good shield that can kind of go across the length of the pitch and kind of cover and fill holes and go into fullback if needed. And and they've got Graham Dorans in there, which is not the bit you know, he Graham Dorans does not have the legs to be to be doing that. And he's all about kind of I guess the, the Charlie Adam role this season where he, he, he does the to use a kind of tired phrase, the quarterback in sort of position where he where he pings the ball sixty yards across the pitch uh, and doesn't do a lot of running and just gets people to run around him. But the the problem is that he he has um, Dom Thomas. Uh, alongside him in the centre of the park, which is is an odd one. I, I don't I don't totally get it. I mean, I know he's technically good. At, at, I'm not convinced that he's got the application maybe to to be a centre. Yeah, yeah Telford, Telford, you're president of the Dom Thomas fan club. Uh, would would you reckon him playing in the centre? I, I think that's incorrect. I think Dom Thomas has got a lot of qualities, but I don't think he's he's better out wide. You know where where he can just feed him the ball you know you've got an energetic fullback playing behind him feeding the ball let him do something magic but, but certainly not in the middle of the park particularly in the middle of the park when you're coming up against an opponent as energetic as Kyle Turner Kyle Turner has started the season with Thistle so well I think he was one of the better players there obviously he had a point to prove about the there was a thing it was a bit of acrimony uh, sounding his exit from Dunfermline Athletic I don't know if there was more to it but apparently he thought he'd a move in him that would take him into the, the Premiership he wouldn't sign a new contract with Dunfermline so Dunfermline effectively sidelined him and he went to Airdrie and almost got, got them promoted so it just shows you how, how good a player he is but that sort of that dynamism that just that whirling dervish in the middle of the park if you're not prepared to, to jog back to cover him, you know, then you, you're going to be in bother because he will motor on all day. And I think as well, I read him, going back to a post I read in Pine Bovril, he I, it was sort of got a bit of a, a, a argy-bargy with uh, Greg Shields, one of them Fairman coaches at the, the the end of the game. So that's, uh, that's, that's interesting. But I think that, that interesting ideas from Peter Grant, you know, I can see the merit. I see the thinking behind playing Dom Thomas as a, a central midfielder, but I wouldn't do it myself. <laughs> it's not FIFA. You know, it's not FIFA where you just pick your players with the best ratings and just doesn't matter where you stick them. You know, you've got to have a bit more, more thought than that. And Dom Thomas is very good at a lot of things, but perhaps being defensively minded uh, certainly isn't one of them. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't know if Dunferman, and this comes back to the point that Sean's made, I don't know actually if Dunferman have got enough strength and depth there to make much of a difference to it. I, I, then they've got Dan Pibus came off the bench and he can maybe sit but they they like, and um they brought in Whiten and I guess they can switch around a wee bit between the, the guys that they've got up front. But I don't know. I, I in my head I had the the at the start of the season at Dunfermline had a, 
a strong first 11 and a kind of decent bench but I'm not actually convinced based on what they've kind of shown so far so yeah uh, I, on, on the other hand Thistle were Thistle were very good um, and I, I think the fact that they also had I think Stuart Bannigan had a very good game as well in the middle and they just look solid like they've got a lot of kind of de- experienced players in kind of important positions I think some of the, the guys they brought in have been good I think Harry Stone I think had a good game in goals and Jamie Stenn had been in and I, I think the thing is maybe Harry Stone will actually keep his place going forward potentially um, and, and you know teams coming up that have won the, the title have, have usually have good seasons next year and it does look like Thistle will probably do that so um, in and of itself losing to Thistle might not be a terrible performance or result this season but I think it's more the, the performance and where they, it feels like there's a lot of work for Dunfermline to do from from here If you wanted to be kind you can maybe say that they did bring in a quite, they brought in five players uh, I think after uh, July 21st so there's a lot of guys still kind of better and getting used to each other but even then I think only two of them started the game on, on Saturday, which would have been Reese Cole and Graham Dorrance. So it's not like there's that much kind of disruption of, on what the team was earlier this summer. So, yeah, he, he certainly, yeah, again, being kind, you could also say that if he if he's trying to implement this new system where he's doing kind of weird things like having Aaron Comrie as the, or, well, weird maybe the wrong word, uh, unorthodox things like Aaron Comrie as the right side of centre-back and Dom Thomas as centre midfielder, then that might take a bit of time for whatever grand vision Peter Grant has. Mm. But it's certainly, alarm bells are certainly ringing. And I think the Dunfermline fans would rather he moved away from the, for the 3-5-2 uh, or 3-4-3, three, three, whatever you want to call it, for, for the time being at least. Yeah. Uh, we should probably talk a wee bit more about Thistle before we move on. Um, Stuart Bannigan, uh, you mentioned Kel Turner had a very good game coming back to East End Park. Stuart Bannigan was excellent as well. Uh, somebody who just seemed to, just seemed to always like be following the play around and always be there to to get the ball and to to move play on and to advance it. And Barrigan has always been somebody I've been always quite fascinated by because he's had mm-hmm. a quite a strange career. And that at one stage when he came through at Thistle, came through I'm pretty sure when they were in the top flight or at least when they were um, about to get promoted for the championship. And he looked a, he looked a very handy uh, top flight yeah. centre midfielder. Somebody yeah. that I mean, somebody that I wouldn't have minded if, if you know Hearts had taken a punt on. And then. You know, fast forward a, a couple of years, probably yeah, maybe a bit longer than that, three or four years or whatever, and you're you're thinking, is this guy now just a an average League One player? But he seems to not. He's not. To be fair to him, though, Fowler, like like injuries yeah, at yes. opportune moments have helped him. So the the moments there where you think he can kick on and get a move to a bigger team like the JTs, then he gets injured, and then it's then it's just niggling injuries. You can never really get yourself fit. And unfortunately, that coincides with Partick Thistle's own travails and their slide into League One. But I know he had an excellent end to last season and he's they certainly started this campaign uh, good as well. And uh, as Andy mentioned, uh, as a Hearts fan, very happy to see Harry Stone make a great save and hopefully stay in the team for the rest of the season. Right, let's move into League One. Queen's Park 2, Cove Rangers nil. A game that's from the highlights seemed like it changed a lot on Fraser Fiver's red card but even still you'd have to say that Cove Rangers could have fell apart after that Can I say I was actually at this match so I can actually talk with some some reasonable authority this was a lot of fun this game the the, the first half was, was was entertaining without without being really exciting because both teams when, when they were breaking forward both teams created chances not, not superb openings rather than chances created openings and then, the, then there was a lull where it was just long balls and misplaced passes and a bit poor. And then right before the, the half time, 
Fraser Five, he jumped into a tackle that he didn't really need to make. The ball's in the halfway line. There was no need to go with that level of aggression. And at that point, you really put your side on the, the back foot. But like unlike uh, Rangers um, against uh, Malmo, who just completely wilted against a team with 10 men, Queen's Park completely ran away with it in the second half. They scored two goals, one immediately after the other, and we'll, we'll come on and talk about them. And then they seemed quite content to just, well, we've got our league, we can just sit on it, allow Cove Rangers to try and come on to them and then hit them in the counter-attack. And, and and the Queen's Park should have had about, at least doubled their tally. They should have had about four goals. Like Murray, Simon Murray missed a, a really good chance. He got slipped through. Bob McHugh slipped him through and he just shot straight at the at Kyle Gurley. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I liked what I saw from Queen's Park. It was an important day for them. You know, it was the their uh, flag-raising ceremony Um the first first time playing at Fur Hill in the league, uh, which which isn't great uh, to be honest. Don't don't particularly enjoy. I've actually I, I, the reason I don't like Fur Hill the seat that I sat in. I leaned back and it went behind its plastic casing. So I saw the the, the metal casing. So I was like, for fuck, the fuck, um, and uh, that that's that's part of the colours. But no, no, a, a very good result for Queens Park. And what's more interesting, I know we talked. Sean and I talked about Cove Rangers last week, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, to having a wee chat about uh, Cove Rangers and how they try and how Hartley spins these big plates that, that he's signed who aren't all that amazing. Yeah, we'll get to that quite soon. Uh, yeah, just go through the kind of major incidents. Uh, the red card, yeah, it's a red card. I I was a wee bit, first time I saw it, I wondered whether it kind of looked worse than it was and it was maybe just a bit more clumsy rather than excessive uh, force. But then, Seeing the kind of watching it back the second time, you actually notice that it's he manages to hook the ball with his right foot, but it's his left foot that is kind of straight out and goes right into the you're gonna have to tell me the name of the opponent who he hacked. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> right into the ankle of his opponent, uh, and yeah, it was a, it was a bad one, and, and that. That makes it, regardless of the kind of uh, how much force there was, that makes it endangering an opponent. And yeah, he was he was rightly sent off. Uh, I think well, Fowler, sorry, you can tell by the reactions. Like Fraser Five, he just sort of like walked. He was a bit of disbelief, and they walked off the pitch. None of his teammates really protested or got involved with the referee. It was all sort of very. It was quite an efficient red card, if you know what I mean. Yeah. He was shown the red card, and then they just got on with it. Yeah, and also, Hartley even admitted afterwards it was fine because I was the same because of the angle that you watch in the highlights it's so far away it's the, the wrong side but yeah even Hartley admitted it himself so you're like okay yeah. and I think there was a suggestion as well that Fivey was maybe a wee bit pissed off because he'd just come back onto the pitch mm-hmm. having having uh, suffered a knock himself so I don't know whether he that was, that was kind of speculation that, that I saw some co-fans had that he was maybe being a wee bit kind of petulant because he was annoyed that Whatever the opponent hadn't been hadn't been punished for for kind of hacking him down. Um, it does it does tend to have as good a player he is, especially at that level. Uh, he does tend to have that kind of wee side to his game for now, for now and then. And yeah, then yeah, the two goals. First one, Simon Murray's free kick. It's a great strike. I still think Kelly Gurley should be doing better there. Uh, it doesn't move his feet well at all. Uh, it might be in fairness, it might be unsighted, but it's still it's still one that I would have fancied. I'll put it this way, I would have fancied Willie Muir at the other end to save it. See, fellas, see, see when I watched it, I thought that, that's an amazing goal, just like the curl on it. But watching it back in highlights, I, I was probably the same as yourself because I think that uh, from that angle, you don't often see right footers taking free kicks at that angle. You know, it's more a left footer to, to curl over the wall and bend it into the top corner. 
I don't know if if, if Gurley was was caught out a wee bit. He was maybe expecting a a, a cross to come in, and I, I think that he was certainly the the villain of the piece. Oh, certainly, because if it, because if he wasn't at fault for that one, he was definitely at fault for the next one. Fucking hell. It was like the, 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 it was incredible watching that back. You know, it's a, a straightforward back pass. I think it's Leighton McIntosh gives it back to him, and, and Gourley under no pressure at all slices a clearance straight to the feet of Bob McHugh. Bob McHugh's about twenty five yards out of goal, and I think Bob McHugh he's, he's getting a bit, a bit of pressure. The the, the Cove defenser are being organised and see what's happening. So he just hits a speculative shot, and it, it, it takes a deflection, I think, and the way, and but it's somehow. Gurley allows it to, or he completely wrong foots it, lets the thing like fall through his hands and into the net. It's uh, it's remarkable. I'm, I'm doing a dreadful job of describing it, but that's <laughs> it's because hard, it's, it's hard, hard to describe though. I was trying to write it down. Yeah, so, I was trying to write down my notes like how to describe it. I, was like, I don't even know how. Like, see if you were writing a play and that was a stage direction, that would I don't know how you would uh, how you would possibly articulate that. <laughs> but, it was just, but the thing is, weirdly, the thing is, like Kyle Gurley. After that, I know it's, it kind of doesn't make, make doesn't mean much given the fact that you sold one of the goals and perhaps could have done better with the second. Like he actually played really well after that, and some of the saves that he made were really good. That one earlier we mentioned from Simon Murray, you know, when, when McHugh slipped him in the Queen's part on the counter, McHugh slipped him in, and and he, you're expecting him to open his body, and, and he did well. He made himself big to block it, but but dearie me, I know there's a bit of a debate going on about who should be Cove Rangers number one, whether it should be Stuart McKenzie or um, Kyle Gourley. And certainly on the evidence, he didn't look too clever uh, against Falkirk last week and he, and he wasn't very good against Queen's Park. And I wonder if it's only a matter of time before Stuart McKenzie comes back into the side. Yeah. Can I, can, uh, sorry, uh, for, I was going to say, can I ask uh, Telfer from your end how, um, how you thought Queen's Park did from a kind of ta- tactical point of view? Like how... How kind of well drilled it? Because it does look like, certainly when you look at the highlights, a, a very, uh, it looks like Cove on top until the red card. And then Queen's Park, because they've got a sort of individual quality and because they're, you know, they're up against 10 men, created loads of chances and dominated the second half. But what what actually were Queen's Park like from, Queen's a, from a tactical point of view? Quite interesting. Queen's Park lined up in a 4-2-3-1 formation. So they've got two solid centre-backs. They had Stuart Morrison and uh, Charlie Fox. Charlie Fox is the person who was fouled by uh, Fraser Fivey. And you've got two marauding fullbacks and Tommy Robinson, particularly Mikey Doyle. Mikey Doyle was a League 2 Player of the Year last season. Very, very fine campaign. You've got Grant Gillespie and... Um, oh, you went off. I need to check the guy. He went off injured actually early doors. He was in fact he was it wasn't on the pitch long, but he was replaced by Jack Thompson, who is on, on loan from Rangers. And then the forward three, you had um Louis Longridge, uh, Liam Brown, and a guy Callum Bigger, uh, wide right, and then Simon Murray up front. And and there were times where when when the when the ball went to Liam Brown, I've spoken about him on, the, on this show before, big fan of his, uh, he, he looked really good. He's got a He's playing a wee bit too further forward for my liking. I like seeing him perhaps towards the centre circle where, where he's got that range of passing that can mix it up. But he's also, he's quite deft at taking players on. Not through necessarily through being particularly skillful, but just like through wee shimmies of the hips and being able to, to outfox them that way. I th- and there were a number of times when the ball went into him and, and he looked fantastic. I, I, but for me in the first half, too often, it was like Grant Gillespie looked to play deep balls for Simon Murray to run onto into the channels. 
and and Simon Murray's game and Simon Murray will work hard and Simon Murray will stretch defences but you, you kind of think that that's where uh, what Longridge and, and Bigger are for Bigger in particular I thought had a really poor game I don't want to be too hard on him because you know he's only a young guy but he was very very negative he, he basically played most of the game was back to goal and Mikey Doyle would, would give passes into him and just get him straight back. There was no real effort to, to try and push forward a stretch of play. And, and Harry Milne, to be fair, deserves a lot of credit for, for keeping him, for keeping the young boy quiet. But at the second half, he took off bigger and brought on Bob McHugh. And, and that just, I, th- I think, I'm not sure, 100% sure where Bob McHugh was playing. If, if, they, if they changed their, their, their tactics like a 4-4-2, and they still went with a 4-2-3-1. But it certainly gave Cove Rangers a, a bit more to think about. Uh, and and ultimately, they, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say, you know, it's ultimately difficult to say because they were playing the second half with 10 men. So you don't know how good a side really Queen's Park are, although very professional performance in the one, or how bad a side Cove Rangers are because they, they actually did play well in spells. It was a funny game. You know, it's, it's one of the ones where you wouldn't, you can't, I don't think you can really make a, a, a definitive judgment on either side based on that performance. All that answers your question about Queen's Park. That was basically Andy asking, uh, please tell me that Laurie Ellis is a good manager. Yeah, um, very much. He could be. I hope so. He seems like a nice guy. I know you and Sean are particular fans of his. Uh, but it's, it's, I think Queen's Park is an interesting one given, you know, he was the assistant or he's certainly coaching at the club when when Mr. Raymond McKinnon was there, and and of course McKinnon left uh, surprisingly uh, a couple of months ago, not long after winning the League Two title. So you, you wonder what he's like stepping up. But I'd, I'd say you've got to be wholly positive so far. They probably should have beaten East Fife the week before. You know they they played Bonnie Rig. Um, they 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 drew with Bonnie. Ultimately, beat them in penalties. But I don't think he's made quite a, a decent start to his time with the Spiders. I can see them. I know I'm saying you can't make any definitive judgments on them based on that performance. I'm going to anyway. I think they can finish in the the the, the top four, if not. I don't think I don't think they've quite got a squad good enough to to really challenge. But I think they can get promoted. Jennifer, you mentioned already about uh, Kyle Gooley and uh, Stuart McKenzie and how fans fans especially think that McKenzie should start. And there's a bit of debate around that, but there's also a bit of a bit of trepidation amongst the Cove support in terms of the players that Paul Hartley's brought yeah. in. And there seems to be, there's an accusation of him that he's tending to stick with the guys who are the bigger names and not necessarily playing the the better players in the team. It's an interesting one. Ian Vigers was playing. So it was the first time I got to see Ian Vigers. And, and to give Vigers his credit, I mean, when he was able to get the space to open up his left foot, some of the balls that he played were, were, were gorgeous. There was one in particular. It must have been like a 30-yard pass with the outside of his left foot for a, for the fullback to run onto. Completely took the opposition fullback out of the game. A, a lovely, lovely moment. And some of the balls, particularly in the, the first half where he was playing these big, booming 50, 60-yard passes into the channels, uh, he looked really good there. But as we all know, I mean, you don't need anyone. Like if I say, what's Ian Vigers really good at? Playing the quarterback role. What's he not so good at? Running, chasing, and 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 doing, and doing his defensive duty. And as a fan, you know, you might might fans won't like that when you're playing for uh, like Motherwell or for for Ross County. But if you're coming to a smaller team and you are you've gone from a, a squad player to effectively being the the billboard name in that team, fans aren't going to have that. And he really needs to do more. Or Paul Hartley needs to put players alongside him who are are going to be his his legs. 
To be fair, he did put uh, Blair Yule was playing in the middle of the park, and Blair Yule actually thought he was the best the best player on Saturday. He was so always always wanted to take the ball forward, always was was bold and adventurous, and always looking to carry the team up the park. But I just think that for for for, for Vigers, you're just you're just looking through you more than just somebody pointing a lot. That, that's all he seemed to do, just, just just point a lot. And Ross Draper wasn't playing; he wasn't in the squad. And I think if you have the pair of them who are useful players at the top flight level, I've always said that just because you've played at this level, you drop down automatically, you're going to become a good player. It, it, it doesn't, it's not the case. And, and I think that Hartley really does need to um, find a balance because he's picked up a, a point against Falkirk. You'd say, oh, in the circumstances, that's probably all right. But I mean, that was a Falkirk team who hadn't trained in almost two weeks. You know, I think Cove Rangers went into that game as massive favourites. And then you're playing away at Queen's Park. Another side, so there's Falkirk, Cove Rangers, it's Falkirk and Queen's Park. Cove Rangers, they'll be expected to hang with them if they want to get into the top four. And I, they just, I mean, they, they really let themselves down with, with five. You talk about big players not not letting team down. There's, there's a good example with five. So I think it's it's perhaps early days, you know, I think that, that Hartley will... Uh, you know, you don't sign a guy like Ian Vigers if the rumours are to be believed how much he's on. You don't sign him for that lightly. You do have to give him a chance. You can't just be like, well, he's shite in one game. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm no, no playing him. You've got to give him a chance. But I think it's, you'd be a bit concerned that the fact that you had a good team last season, you're building it, so you take the goalkeeper out and put someone else in who hasn't played well in two games. I think Vigers was, was definitely the worst player in the park. But there was one point when he did get booed and someone told him to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> be used to that I think he was used to that a lot of Motherwell and uh, probably his latter days at County as well Aye it's, there was like and I think as well that it was a, it was a tough shift for like Mitch Meganson they didn't really get the service into him um, they've, they've also signed a guy called Morgan Neal I don't know how, how familiar you two are with him but like Morgan Neal's like the, if you were to open up a dictionary and come across meat and potatoes lower league defender you would have a picture of Morgan Neal next ex Dumbarton yeah, that's who they signed him from, I. And he's like, he's 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 good at the meat and potatoes stuff. He's good at like heading and penalty box defending, but see his distribution. I actually, I mean, he played a, a season for Stenhouse Muir and watching him play, I'd actually forgotten how poor his distribution was. He does this thing, he'll get the ball into his feet, he'll sort of jog forward, like his elbows down by his sides and his, his arms around, and he can only use his right foot, the left foot, so standing, pass it five yards and shuttle back into position. Looks like he's sprinting out of defence and he's going to carry it somewhere and just turns back and, 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 and gives it back. I mean, I would say he, he, he didn't, um, didn't have a, a, a particularly like bad game or anything like that. But I think that it must be heartening for, for Queen's Park that you've got a guy like like Murray. You know, his gold record's not amazing. He did score a number of times last season, but he can just do so much as a forward. You, you know, he's like he's he's quite a difficult forward to try and define as to, to what he's really good at. I mean, I know you guys have seen a lot of him, but just his, uh, his energy is really good and just his willingness to, to graft for the team is, is something that I really liked about him. Yeah, the only thing I really could add, uh, add to that was that uh, I just kind of saw the, the midfield lineup for the start of Ian Vigers and Fraser Fivey in the middle, and I was like, that. I mean, why does he think that's going to work? Like Fraser Fivey's kind of made his kind of career of being a kind of more somebody who excels more in the kind of number six role, um, yeah. like to kind of have to push him a bit further forward to 
to situate Vigors with his Hollywood passes. I don't think that's going to work. And as well, Ross Draper. Like, Ross Draper was a good kind of... Used to be a good foil for somebody like Vigors because he was all kind of energy uh, and that kind of big, awkward frame of his just kind of bounding up and down the park. But at this age, I can't imagine he's got much of that left in him. And I know you and Sean were talking about him, uh, Telfer, on, on either last week's show or the week before. We were talking about how Vigors and and uh, Draper would adapt to the league. I actually thought that Vigors would maybe adapt a bit more because once once Draper's kind of physical abilities go, like Vigors can, Vigors never been somebody who's moved around much anyway. So he can still make a living off of doing the, the Hollywood quarterback kind of role in a team. Whereas Draper, I think when he's the kind of guy who's more likely to fall off a cliff. And I, I can't, and I know as well that co-fans were already happy before the before the game that Draper was out. So it's, that's not, I mean, only five games into your career at your club, that's not, it's not a good sign. Aye, aye. I, I think it as well that the, another guy I didn't think particularly an effective game was Robbie Leach was sort of playing as a, a wide uh, forward. I know that Falkirk fans didn't particularly take him and seeing his performance there, it's like, I think I can understand why that, that, that you, you would like him. Just seemed to, just a bit of a nothing player, really. And, and I, I, I don't like, I don't particularly, I don't like slanging players off. I know I, just, I, I tend to do a lot, I just, I just not, it's not helpful to, to make fun of players. You always think, well, what are they good at? And it's like, I, I, I can't really say uh, that, that he was particularly good. And and it's that sort of thing. I remember like, speaking to associates who, who follow Falkirk, we talk, I remember them talking about him, and it's like, I get it. I, I I get it. And just one thing before we move on, um, fair play to whoever writes the Cove Rangers match reports because it's like, it's always cheated, never defeated. The opening <laughs> line, I just brought that up here, Fowler, you know, to find out who it was at 5am tackled. A red card shown to Fraser 5 late in the first half proved decisive as we lost out to Queen's Park in our league center, our league one in clash at Firhill. 5 was sent off for what looked like to be a mistimed rather than malicious, tackling Charlie Fox close to the halfway line. And despite the protests of his teammates, referee Callum Scott gave the midfielder his marching orders. It was a disappointing as we'd been the better side up until that stage and had a huge bearing on the outcome of the game. I just That's not simply not true. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not true. That's just, that just, just isn't, isn't true. That just isn't true. Right, let's uh, move on to the game in League 2 that we're going to cover, and that is Strunvar nil Annan Athletic 3. Now, I've watched uh, the highlights of this, but I didn't have enough time to read up on the context, so Telfer, can you fill us in on that? Uh, I think this is the most passive defending I have seen from a side. <laughs> I was going to try and think. I, I think in, I've written decades down in my notes, but I think that's, probably, <laughs> that's perhaps a little bit too, um, a little bit too, too, uh, too harsh. Stranraer were dreadful here. Stranraer were absolutely uh, appalling. Nothing, nothing good to say about them on on the back of this performance. And I think that I, I really do think they they're going to struggle this season if they if Jamie Hamill is somehow able to repeat last season's finish and get them into the top four. I'll be astonished because I look at this team and there's not a lot to like about them. I know they beat Motherwell's uh, kiddies team. Uh, on, on Tuesday night, but we'll, we'll stick in the context of this game. Came up against Annan Athletic. Annan, are, I don't think Annan are a particularly good side this year. Actually, Telford, they didn't beat Motherwell yeah. Goods team. Uh, they got a bye because Motherwell pulled out. For fuck's sake, that's why that's what happens when I read soccer base <laughs> uh, and, and, and draw my conclusions off the, off the back of that. Uh, 
fucking idiot. So there you go. Then they, they, they've uh, they, there you go. They didn't they didn't beat Motherwell's wretched kiddie side three 0 they, they 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 were awarded a three 0 win. But anyway, Annan, I don't think Annan are a particularly good side uh, this season. There's there's still a lot of like well known like lower league war horses in there, and there is a smattering of quality here and there. But it's certainly you look at that team and compare it to the likes of. Not Kelty Hearts, but like for instance, a even Cowden Beef. You can't look through the Cowden Beef team, but I think player for player, like a side like Cowden, another team who aren't expected to do well are better. Still, an Albion, a, a team that, that are better. Elgin City on paper better than them. Uh, but but to go to to Stair Park and beat them three now, I think it's a, a very uh, impressive result for them. But you have to say they were aided and abetted by by some very very passive defending, like the expression "hot knife through butter." I think that's exactly what it was like. But instead, instead of the, instead of butter, it would just be water. I just uninterested. Butter, the, the butter, butter just yeah. The, yeah. the knife uh, didn't even go through the butter. The knife didn't even touch the butter. The butter just moved out the way of the knife. Imagine, <laughs> imagine Moses parting the Red Sea, but um, he wasn't under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it was like. I he was just. He wasn't under pressure. He wasn't getting chased down by the Egyptian army. He was just like, oh, fuck, I, I, I need to get to the off-license before it closes. You know, <laughs> that kind of pressure. That's what uh, Annan's attack was like against Stranraer's defence. Yeah, it was... Uh, even, I mean, the third, all the goals, so the first two are uh, sort of players running unimpeded through the middle of the park and then scoring from sort of the edge of the box. Both of them, there were sort of degrees of uh, poorness as they as they went on. The first one is pretty poor defending. The second one is really poor defending. And the third one is just inexplicable stuff. Like, because it maybe shows you a wee bit more of the, the, the build-up. And there's like, at no stage, I mean, there's a number of periods where Aston Rahr striker or midfielder or defender could like come close to the ball or put some pressure on somebody but see, see the all held mean, back for what, some what unknown I mean they, they generally look like the, the, it was the type of performance where, of a, a bunch of players who kind of want their manager to be sacked like that's <laughs> that's it they're already fed up with Jamie Hamill already season as Jamie Hamill started wearing glasses he reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons where Homer finds is it Henry Kissinger's glasses down the toilet? And he, start, he starts wearing them. And there's a bit where uh, Mr. Burns is looking at employees to sack. And he's like, no, no, keep the egghead. He might come in useful. But Andy, I'm not sure if Andy's completely dropped out because his face is frozen on uh, on Zoom there. I completely agree with what he's saying there. I mean, Sonar Sergal, Owen Moxon's goal was simultaneously like a Lovely goal. finish, to be fair. It was, as I was saying, it was simultaneously a goal of the season contender. But you're like, why on earth are you just allowed to uh, allow them to do that? And it was just a common feature of Stranraer's play. Not tracking, like, letting players run. Like, Andy has disappeared. We might get him back. <laughs> I'll keep an eye out for him coming back. Letting players, letting players run at you, not impeding them. And I just, you kind of expect a wee bit more. You expect bet. I mean, I suppose... It doesn't matter. Yeah, you expect at least some degree of resistance, and that's we we didn't see any of that from from Stranra. And I do think that Jamie Hamill's tactic uh, of signing young players from Kilmarnock, I, 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 it wouldn't be for me. That's I'd say it wouldn't be for me. Yeah, the ah, you're, you're right in saying about the passive defending the first goal as well. They were just all over the place. Like they were they were in 
they were in positions that footballers shouldn't be. It was just like it was just a mess. Like in the build-up, was again a nice finish as well from Chris Johnson. But, but totally, you know that is, that sounds bad. It sounds like what we're taking away from Stranraer there. Uh, sorry, taking away from an athletic, and and I, I don't think I don't want that to be the case because. Johnson's finish was was lovely. Uh, Aiden Smith's finish was lovely. Owen Moxon's finish was lovely. These were all like very very well taken goals, but the, the the first one, for instance, like I think it's Dean Hawkshaw gets a toe in the ball. It's a header that comes back. Dean Hawkshaw gets a toe in the ball, and it breaks to Johnson. Johnson's about like forty yards from goal. And he's given the opportunity to run. And I think it's the, 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 the young defender, uh, Craig Ross. It's interesting, that's my name and my brother's name uh, combined. Craig Ross, I think I think it was, was it I, Smith seems to run away. I think it was Smith or Ian Anderson seems to, to, to like make, a, make a run to the side, but he runs himself into an offside position. And then Ross has got Ross should be coming to, to you know to come over to get the ball. He doesn't do that and he sort of turns his back. It allows Johnson to, to shoot. And as we say, it's a great finish. You know, it's, it's a, one of those laser-guided finishes. But come on, man, just put your put your body in the line. Right, Andy, you're, you're back just in time for us to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> well, Luke's saying as well, just when you're saying that, is that the, the, the Sonora highlights package was interesting. It's in like a, a nine, eight or nine-minute highlights video. Like, oh, this is, this is classic. A good feel for the match. Three minutes before a ball's actually kicked. And all you get is the goals, and I'm sure it's like a Josh Walker free kick that hit the post when when uh, when Annan were one 0 up. But it's a, it was a strange. Uh, there was a bit as well. It was quite, I found quite funny the commentator when Aidan Smith scored the, the second goal. He said, "I bet Aidan Smith thought it was his birthday." And the guy's co-commentating was sort of spoke over him at the same time, and he says, "I said that again." Well, I bet I said that. I think Aidan Smith thought it was his birthday there, and I thought that was uh, there's something really uh, quite quite quaint about that. The co-commentator as well, uh, he kept, I think, every single goal. He said the phrase, the freedom of Stair Park. <laughs> yes. yes. But it was true. It was true. It was it was wrong, yeah. He was spot on. He maybe needs to invest in a thesaurus, but he, was, he, he wasn't wrong. Uh, he definitely wasn't wrong. Uh, right, guys, thank you very much for joining me. And thank you to everybody for listening. We are about to go record a Patreon where we're going to talk about the midweek games in the Challenge Cup. or. <laughs> SPFL Trust Trophy, as it's now called. And of course, that involves a lot of B teams. So we could probably talk about that as well because Telfar uh, has fired off a, a tweet today that's, that's got a lot of people talking. You know something, Fowler? Uh, having seen uh, my phone buzzing off all day, I sincerely wish I hadn't. I wish I'd kept my, <laughs> I wish I'd kept my opinion to myself. <laughs> right. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.